Hey there, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing to the Big Time Talker podcast. I'm Burke Allen. We're everywhere now. iHeartMedia, Spotify, Google, Apple, iTunes, wherever you download podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday, courtesy of our show sponsor, Speaker Match, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a thought leader, if you're a platform speaker, or maybe you're a, a person who books speakers for your venue, you can find one another at the robust online marketplace at speakermatch.com. And today we're going to talk to a guy who puts the words in the mouths of lots of people who speak for a living. He's an award-winning playwright, screenwriter, producer, and director. My friend Ty DiMartino joins us to talk about the summer blockbuster movie season and the writer's strike and all things Hollywood. Ty, thanks for squeezing us in today. Hey, Burke, I appreciate you asking me, and it is a dramatic time in Hollywood right now. There's a lot happening, but more importantly right now, there's a lot not happening, and we've probably all seen the, the headlines about this writer's strike. Um, what are they striking for? Well, essentially, they're striking for, uh, I guess, more pr uh, percentages of um, what they called back in the last strike, new media. So that's streaming, that's uh, internet downloads. There was really no way to define that the last time that they negotiated contracts. And so now they're, they're, they're going forward saying, you know what it is now. It's proven its success, a great success. And especially with, you know, the pandemic and things going right to streaming, um, writers aren't getting the percentages that they're that they should be getting for for their work. And and, it, and it's very interesting. It's kind of uh, brought to light this whole idea of gig writers, that writers can't really survive going from gig to gig to gig. And they need to be rewarded and uh, compensated for previous work they did and get a percentage of of the um, of the of the money that these studios are making, the incredible amounts of money the studios are making. So for folks that, that are not in that world like you are, maybe you could kind of set it up for us a little bit. And you touched on gig writers, and I'm assuming that that means that for a certain number of, of folks that do what you do for a living, you kind of go from TV show to TV show or movie to movie, and you're paid for those. We also talked about the streaming services and and percentages. So is a percentage like if, if it continues to air on a streaming service down the road that the writer should be able to get paid for, for future royalties or kind of break that down for us and how it all works? Yeah, from, from what I understand, and I've never written for a TV show, but I think that's really where it comes into play, where the, the most proceeds could, could be uh, the benefit of the writers. But uh, previously, you would uh, get a staff writing job on a TV show and you're one of the staff writers. And so you would you know, deliver weekly scripts or write a couple scripts a season. And then when that was sold into syndication, usually, you know, after five years, you know, the shows that we all know and love, I Love Lucy, The Brady Bunch, all that, they go into syndication. Right. The writers would get a percentage of those every time they aired. And um, that doesn't happen anymore. Like shows doesn't, don't go into syndication anymore because they go immediately to be streaming where people can see them all the time or, or watch them as much as they want. I, I think I heard that the last big show to be sold into syndication was uh, Modern Family. Like that's the one that kind of had a big syndication deal. And I think that ran for 10 seasons, but everywhere else, you know, it kind of goes to the, it goes to these streaming platforms and there's really no formula to uh, fairly compensate the writers. 
I follow this guy on Instagram who's a staff writer and he, he wrote for shows like just shoot me and King of the Hill. And mm-hmm. it's, and he, he has this game where he opens up his residual checks right online. And so it's, it's very funny to see. He's like, I got a royalty check. And so he opens it up and he's like, Oh, King of the Hill, this is for, you know, I'm guessing $3,500. And then he's like, Oh, this one here for a streamer show is like $27. I mean, there's such a big discrepancy between the two. So I think that's a big part of this, of this strike is to sit down with the studios and say, look, you know what you're making. And I don't think the writers are asking for a lot. I think they're asking like two or 3% of, of what the studios are grossing. And, and it's, it's, it's a very fair compensation. Well, I'm on the writer's side. Are there folks out there who write for television and for film that are not uh, card-carrying members of the Writers Guild? Yes, I, I'm currently not a part, part of the Guild because I have never been staffed on a TV show. So I'm one of those gig writers, Burke, that we were talking about. So I go, I work with a lot of independent agencies, a lot of independent film companies that come to me with an idea and say, hey, you know, or, or somebody who's written a book and they have an investor who wants to make a movie. So, you know, they'll give me the book and I'll read it and I'll break it down into a three act structure. Or, or, or sometimes I tell them, eh, there's really not a movie here. You know, that's really hard for some people to hear, but um, that's usually how I, I work in this world. And there's a lot of different types of writers. And I, I don't live in Los Angeles, as you know, I live in, in Maryland. And, you know, it, I, one time I was talking to a guild writer and he said, once you get staffed or once you sell to a studio, a big time studio, join the guild. But until that time, you know, you can, if you can survive and do these essentially gigs, you know, go ahead and do that. So I took his advice many years ago. And, you know, if I ever got staffed on a TV show or sold my own TV show, you know, the guild's the first stop. So even though you're not a member of the writer's union, you support these guys and ladies full stop. Oh, absolutely. Because a lot of my friends, you know, that I, I an associates that I work with and, and connect with and network with are all on the front line and, and they're studio writers and they've, you know, are working as writers assistants on shows on stars and encore and things like that. And they really need to do it. Um, I do other stuff too, Burke, as you know, I kind of do some marketing writing and, um, do some video editing and things like that. So I'm sort of a jack of all trades. So it's just one component of it. And also have, you know, this whole playwright thing that I've been doing for, for 25 years that I've gotten a little bit of success on. So I'm kind of, you know, all over the place with my writing, but there are some people that that is their sole income and they try to support their family with that and the benefits that the guilds give. And um, it's, it's just very important that, especially with the threat of AI. I mean, that's, that's what's so weird right now. It's not only are we negotiating, they're negotiating the, the rights with, with streaming and this new media and they couldn't define it back in 2016. I think it was when it was kind of um, coming on the scene. Um, But now there's all this talk about AI that, you know, you just kind of tell them the characters and put it into a program and it gives you the first pass of a Christmas Hallmark movie or something like that. And, that's just very threatening for, for writers to do. And then, you know, and then they would ask like a writer to come in and say, Hey, we had this first pass with AI, you clean it up. And so I think that's part of the negotiation as well, that you can't, we refuse to rewrite a computer or what a computer comes up with, which is uh, is terrifying. It's scary scary stuff. And and like, I've uh, like, I'm sure a lot of people I've played around with 
chat uh, GPT uh, just to see what's there. Have you been online and play with it? And and what are your thoughts? I have not because I I know that you know my my sons had a, a party here a couple of weeks ago and they were, you know, talking about it and, and showing me and saying, Hey, we're talking to, you know, this Ronald Reagan or whatever, they would have conversations or, you know, they would like, or even uh, made up characters when one of my sons was talking to quote unquote, Tony Soprano and had this like kind of dialogue back and forth with the fictitious Tony Soprano character. And they're all laughing, having a good time. And I, I just called them all out. I said, Hey, you are fine tuning this technology. Like, you know, you're having fun with it, but every time you have something with it, or if you say Tony wouldn't answer that way or whatever exchange you're having, you're giving them data to, to make this better and make your dad not have a job. So I was a party pooper that night, Burke. I just kind of <laughs> went, in, went in and said, shame on, not shame on you, but you know what I mean. It's all You're a buzzkill, Ty. You're a bu- I'm a buzzkill. I'm a buzzkill. But I think it's, it's, you know, ha, 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 laugh, laugh. But then you turn around and I think we're going to see, like, I, 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 I kind of imagine that some show's going to kind of do it as a joke and say, hey, t- all tonight's sketches on Saturday Night Live were written by a computer. Ha ha ha, see how it is. Or this episode of Family Guy, hypothetically, was written by AI. See if it's funny. You know, and it's going to be like a event to kind of tune in and see if this South Park or whatever, you know, can cut the muster. But I, I honestly don't think that AI has the ability to be funny. Like, like that's the one thing because comedy is very subjective and it's hard. It's harder to make somebody laugh than make them cry. So I, I very, it would be very interesting to see what kind of comedy they produce with this AI. I, I'd be very curious to see that. There's so many questions out there um, for folks in the creative arts. Uh, you talked about, uh, you know, the writers and, and how, they're looking for fair compensation from these streaming platforms. And it's happening in the music world as well with, with the advent of Spotify and Pandora, where, you know, at one point uh, recording artists were being compensated a whole lot more when you went out and bought a physical CD. And now it's literally parts of pennies on the dollar. You put that into the mix with artificial intelligence that in theory is learning every day how to become better and better writers uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're recording technology now where I, I read a couple of weeks ago that there was a song that was released by Drake in the weekend that was not really Drake and the weekend, but it was so good. And it got so many downloads in that one, uh, two day period that it, it could have broken the, the billboard top 10 had it actually been those artists. Th- there's all of this uncertainty that's, that's circling around and look, I know you don't have a crystal ball. But for someone that makes his living in the creative arts, does it give you pause? Does it make you think, hmm, perhaps I should have been a plumber. Perhaps I should have done another <laughs> trade here. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting, too, because, you know, you think, well, artists are always artists and they're always protected. And I kind of liken it to the technology of, you know, the 70s and early 80s when a lot of these factories a lot of these factory workers who, you know, left high school and got a job, you know, or their father did too, at some sort of, you know, blue collar factory and work there. And then suddenly, oh, well, you're, you're replaced with a computer. We don't need you to put bottle caps on or, you know, create tires. We have a computer to do it. And they kind of stepped out. And I, I think this is our advent to that. It's like kind of like, oh, we don't need you, creative guy. We don't need you, funny guy. We don't need you you know, emotional guy, and we're, we're finding a computer to replace you. So it, it is very, I've been thinking a lot about that because, you know, I was 
I was young, but my father's friends were part of that, like kind of one, like and they created the Rust Belt and things like that, where these factories were just abandoned because they weren't needed anymore because we were shipping it overseas or computers were doing it. But I, I kind of flashed back to that to use a screenplay term. And I was like, wow, it's sort of like that, but for like us now. So um, am I regretting it? I, I don't know. I mean, we, we honestly don't know the quality or like you said about that, generated song is quality respected now like will people care that a computer made it up and not a real person you know are, are we the last generation burke that you know are saying oh man if it's not on vinyl it's not any good you know and so you know it's it, you damn kids people... you get off my lawn absolutely me shaking the fist at the sky but like you know are, are we that last generation that would care you know so if they don't care who created their their um content as long as i got content then 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 yeah then I, I don't know what it is i wish i had the crystal ball and i could tell you but that's sort of like it, and, it's, and it's happening now so you know i'm feeling these emotions now and watching it kind of evolve now so yeah those are those are my thoughts on it but yeah it's it's scary but we'll see how it plays out are there parts of of this new emerging technology and the entertainment business that excite you. And, and I'll give you an example. You know, one of my longtime friends and, and clients is Dream of Denver. Dream of Denver was married for three decades to Bob Denver, who played, you know, on uh, Maynard G. Krebs, on Dobie yep. Gillis, and was Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. It's possible now with these AI deep fakes that someone might bring Bob Denver back to life on screen. And Absolutely. we've seen some of this, you know, with, with the Tom Cruise deep picks that were floating around social media a couple of months ago. Um, are there parts of it that excite you that think, man, I could see a new Charlton Heston movie or Cary Grant movie or Elizabeth Taylor could come back to life? Not, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really doesn't excite me at all. I mean, it's interesting that you said that. And, and just pause. I mean, I love Dreama and I've met her through our, our mutual friend, Kevin Sizemore, and, and she's a wonderful person. And so um, I met her at some event down in West Virginia. But uh, no, it, it it's hmm. like, you know, they used to have those commercials where Audrey Hepburn was selling chocolate or something like that a couple sure. years ago during the Super Bowl and stuff like that. And those were like small little AI things. But everyone knew it. There's a wonderful blog out right right now by um, Justine Bateman, who was uh, is Jason Bateman's sister. She was Mallory Family on Family Ties. Ties. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone loved Mallory. Um, and she has written something warning actors not to give their likeness over because according to her, there's this movement right now where uh, studios and agents are asking actors to come in and kind of record things online and get their images, you know, trying different things, emotions, saying different words and stuff like that. And then they're putting it into something for something later. Um, and interesting, that came out right around the time my wife said, oh, there's this Marlon Brando documentary on, on one of the streaming things. She's like, I wanted to watch it. Let's watch it. We sat down there. And literally the very first scene was Marlon Brando from a recording from 19, early 1970s talking about how he went into a studio and how he recorded himself, how they shot him from all these different angles, saying all these different lines. And they got his face movement and his jaw movements. And... He was like, the trust in 1970, Marlon or 70s, Mar Marlon Brando was saying, trust me, this is the future of filmmaking. We're not even going to need actors. 
they're just going to create whatever they need to create with whatever actor they have because they're going to have these images of them and and like it was this is a couple year old documentary um, that we were looking at, but it was just like, wow, this is kind of like all, all kind of coming together. So does it excite me? No, it, it's a little terrifying because just like Dream of Witten One, her, her, you know, dearly departed husband to do that, could she control the content, you know, or like who owns, who owns these people, you know, do, does, I know that they have life rights and things like that, but if I wanted to put Marlon Brando in my next film, would I have to get it cleared through his estate? Would they get money? Like, how how does that work if I create Marlon Brando? Or and what if they get know, out? If Dream at Denver got cut out of her late husband being in some film? Right, exactly. So it's like, who owns the rights? And what if it's something that Marlon Brando would never do, or Bob Denver would never do? And um, have Marlon and Brando and Bob Denver ever been in something? That would be because it could happen. There could have been like a crossover. In we the need 60s to Google on. that. We need to Google that immediately. Um, I can see that. I can see that. It would be very exciting. Yeah. Uh, but no, like, like, how do we, you know, if, if they make Bob do something horrible or Marlon do something horrible, well, more than Marlon would really do. But um, like, it, that, that's a little terrifying to me. And like what you're saying about the Tom Cruise thing, that was, you know, everyone was laughing at that. First time I saw it, I was just like, is that him? Like, I, it was like some sort of video where, the the deep fake was going into a theater and he said he was running out the whole theater and i was like and i was kind of like maybe tom cruise would do that it was like so good you know and we're all laughing and giving it hits but we're also fine-tuning that technology when we do that so spoonful of sugar it was our guest today and we're talking about uh, the writer's strike and ai and all things hollywood uh ty a award-winning playwright also a screenwriter of Films like The Christmas Tree Miracle, The Pledge. He's a producer, director. He's a, a man who does many things, a renaissance man. <laughs> right. Um, as of today, in the recording of this podcast, as we talk about the writers who are on strike now and there's no end in sight, how how important are writers in today's world to film and television? Oh, I, I think they're everything. If it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. And the idea starts with a writer. It's actually interesting, Burke. I mean, I, I've done theater, I've done movies, um, never television, but the writers regarded differently in all those venues. Like, you know, a lot of times on, you know, a movie set, the writer, you know, is, is he or she has already done their work. And it's kind of like, thank you very much, you know, pat on the head, see you at the premiere sometimes. If you're lucky enough to be a producer and have some stuff, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll be invited on set. But a lot of times it's like, you know, Thank you, page boy or girl. You can go on your way. But in theater, my goodness, like I've had plays produced. And then, you know, when the playwright's here, the playwright's here. And I, I've had actors come up and said, I'd like to change this word. Is it okay? Or I, you, didn't put a, you didn't put a comma here and I'm taking a pause. Is this okay? I mean, they respect, the respect level is so different. But um, yeah, it, it's, I think that the writer is extremely important. I'm saying this as a writer, um, ask a director and you'll get a different, you'll get a different answer. But <laughs> I, I think it starts with the writer and starts with that idea. And, you know, you need a script for a director to sit and say, I want to do this or a script that a director can tear apart and say, nope, that's not it. I want it this way, but there has to have that seed. And I think that the writer is the one that, that, that plants that seed. It's interesting what you're saying about AI too, you know, I'm thinking out loud about, 
how will it affect theater? Will that still be like the true? I mean, can AI, I guess we could have an AI play, but you know, it, you're not going to have any images because we still need live people because it's live and happening there. But yeah. So, so we're at this point right now where uh, to the folks that are not in the entertainment business, we know this is happening because it's covered on the news. And if you're a fan of, of the late night talk shows, the Jimmy Fallon's of the world, Jimmy Kimmel, those shows are not happening. But what else can go wrong? Like when does when does the next shoe drop? When do we run out of movies that have already been written? When do we run out of, of new TV shows and they start having to do reruns? When when is this all going to really start to impact the consumer? We're yeah, we're gonna well. I was, you know, we're going to talk about the the summer summer blockbusters, and so the 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 um, studios have a lot riding on it. They have to make a lot of money because there's no negotiations happening, to my knowledge, you know. And so this could go on for a long time. Um, the other shoe to drop, what's a little weird this time, Burke, is that there's not the traditional pilot season as there once was, you know, before, you know, Hollywood would shut down in March, you know, they would wrap for the season and those episodes would air until the end of May. And then you got reruns from May until September. And then when kids went back to school, they started the new season of Mork and Mindy or whatever, you know, so it, it was like You're this set. Yourself. I know I am, but <laughs> I could have said Gilligan's Island, but <laughs> so, so the thing is, is there was this set life for television. And so now it's not, I mean, that's all different now with the streaming services. Oh, right? absolutely. Things, things, things premiere all the time. And, you know, and that's not 22 episodes or 25 episodes or my goodness, back in the sixties and seventies, they did like 30 and 35 episodes. And now it could be what, like 10, 12 for some of these oh, shows. Yeah. 10, sometimes eight. It all depends. I mean, it's some, some are six. And so, um, but you know, they premiere and they, roll out you know there there's new premieres every month and you can just kind of catch them whenever you catch them so that's what interesting so to feel the impact i don't know it was interesting because when the the strike was looming i had a lot of writer friends who were in the guild who were like you know i had some meetings with or wanted to talk to them and they're like uh, you know we i can't i can't I'm, I'm just trying to get this done before we strike like like they're racing to get this stuff done so they could pass it off and it could be shot. Well, I'm also finding out that a lot of these, these plans of, well, we have, you know, 10 scripts, we can go and go ahead and, and shoot it. Are those things are being put on the wayside because, you know, things happen and they need a writer to tweak stuff or something's not working and they need something to rewrite on set. So where they were planning on going ahead and filming, a lot of productions have shot, shut down. You know, once they started, I mean, they started after the strike and say, well, we'll keep on going. But it just kind of was virtually impossible. So, so if the scripts I, are turned in, but but something needs to be worked on a little bit. The union will not allow that little bit of tweaking on set. No, no, absolutely not. It's pens down. It's it's, you know, computers down. So I yeah. So there there wouldn't be any of that. You know, and it's a lot. Of, it's hard because a lot of these showrunners who are executive producers and directors are also the writers. So mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have to show your allegiance and say, you know, nope, I'm standing with my brothers and sisters in solidarity. But it's it's a yeah, it's a hmm, it's an it's, it's an interesting time. You're talking about the late night shows, and they've all shut down. And um, the other thing that they were talking about, the next thing to be hit are the soaps, like you know, that produce yeah. five shows a week. And some of them write several months in advance. 
but others don't. Others are like, you know, like maybe a month or a couple of weeks in advance. So traditionally uh, when the soaps, they would keep doing the soaps and they would have other people write them, producers, you know, actors, you know, who've always wanted to write. And so they would go ahead and keep producing these scripts. And then when the writers came back, they were like left with a mess. They come back and be like, what'd you do to my show? That wasn't the plan. He was supposed to murder his twin sister. And, you know, <laughs> now you have them married. You know, it's like they got all jacked up. Uh, exactly. Even more than normal, you know? And so it, I don't know what will happen to the soaps. That's where I, I was thinking next when, you know, first is the late night shows, of course, because they're done, you know, shot, written and shot in one day, but then it's the soaps. Now the news can go on because a lot of that's written by producers and stuff that aren't part of the guild, but, um, yeah, it's it, sort of a rolling stage. blackout type situation where instead of it, we, we run out of everything in September, it'll be different for different shows. And we'll just start to see gradually the new content go away if they don't. Right. And we, and we got to remember too, Burke, that, you know, we're coming off of COVID. So a lot of these, you know, productions have been shut down indefinitely because of that. And, you know, there's still heavy restrictions on sets you know, of, uh, you know, with the COVID protocols and things like that. So it's not as easy to shoot now. So there's been some delays in seasons and, and bringing series back because of that. So, I mean, this is, this is a weird time for Hollywood and, you know, they have a lot riding on this um, summer blockbusters season, if you will, because a lot of these movies that are coming out this summer have been put on hold and because they didn't want to release them to streaming where the revenue is not going to be as big. So there's a lot coming out this summer that, you know, they're, I bet you they're counting the money as soon as it comes out. I mean, they're, they really need it because they're not getting it anywhere else. Sure. There was a story in the Washington post last week about these specialty industries in Los Angeles that, for example, one of the, the businesses has uh, a fake airport and fake airplane interiors. And immediately, as soon as the writer's strike happened, uh, you know, all the production got pulled out of there. And so they have all these sets of fake airplanes and fake airplane hangars just sitting empty. How how much does a strike, a writer's strike, impact other industry, and not only in Southern California, but everywhere that movies and TVs are made? I would assume no, it's I, huge, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a shame because, you know, they're like, boy, you're striking and you don't care about the crew. You don't care about the makeup artists. You don't care about wardrobe and all that. But, you know, I've read a lot um, on the WGA uh, site and the WGA East sites where, you know, they're like, you know, we're fighting. But, you know, when it comes time to fight for you, we'll fight for you as well because they're in guilds as well. But, yeah, I mean, the ramifications are huge. And, you know, it's something you're saying about Southern California. Well, you know, a lot of these shows don't shoot there anymore because of the tax incentive in, in LA and things like that, or it's just so expensive to shoot. So they go to different communities. I mean, Texas is a big one, Atlanta, obviously, Pennsylvania right. and Ohio get a lot of productions from these streaming services. And so when they come into a community and shoot, I mean, they're, they're eating at the restaurants, they are staying at their hotels, they are, you know, running out to buy things and set decorate, you know, locally, you know, they need to get a rug and things like that. They're not going to haul that all the way from L.A. So the money is kind of spread into these little communities where where they are. And, um, yeah, if they shut down, you know, er- everyone's impacted. And so hopefully they'll they'll come to some sort of agreement or even just sit down at the table and say, OK, let's talk. 
we talked about the summer blockbusters that are coming out and I want to get into some of those movies with you, but do you know, do you track box office results and have, have traditional movie theaters now come back to pre pandemic levels? Are we, are we back now? And then just about to have the rug pulled out from under us again? (laughs) Well, you know, it's not going to stop people from going to theaters. I mean, the, the thing is, is that they do this kind of dual release where, you know, they kind of sometimes release in a theater and, but you can also buy it online for 20 bucks or something like that. If you want to stay home or if you're not comfortable going to a theater yet, but um, are they back? I don't, it's just so hard to kind of register. I mean, is anything back really, you know, I mean, there's people that got real accustomed to staying at home and are, are, are finding ways to stay home just because they they just felt comfortable there. So um, I don't know, like, I keep thinking about last summer and like how everything was kind of immediately going streaming and there were things I wanted to see and I would just stay at home and watch the Fablemans on my couch, you know, and things like that. So um, there were these options, but like Tom Cruise's Top Gun last year, I mean, that was a theater event. And I, you know, hauled my butt to the theater to watch it and sat there and enjoyed it. Like, I was like, I can't imagine watching this on, on my television or on my phone, you know? So there are these kind of epic things that almost call for you to go to the theater. And there's a couple, well, there's a lot of blockbusters out this summer that are going to, you know. Uh, you sort of scream for that, right? Some of these movies oh, yeah. you just want to see on the big screen. So so let's talk about some of these movies that that are coming out and, uh, I'm sure you've seen a few. You probably haven't seen some, but but uh, we will ask you to to put on your little wizard hat, your your tie wizard hat. Tell me what's going to be good, what's not, what's going to do well, and what's not. And let's start with one that's in the theater now: the new Fast and the Furious movie. That's a big screen excitement kind of adrenaline thrill ride. Yeah, and those are always you know easy money. You know you know what you're getting. You go there, you laugh. It, it, you know you go there, you know the characters, you feel it. You're going to see the car chases you're going to see the spectacular special effects so yeah that's that's kind of a no-brainer that that will do well will it do as well as previous ones i don't know but you know they're going to make up their money in that and then streaming and things like that if any franchise like that like the marvel movie and i know that um uh you know the the spider-man's coming out out. right yeah it's coming out out later this summer right and then uh we have a transformers that is coming out the rise of the beast and um and then uh, Cruz has a Mission Impossible coming, like uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1 or something like well, that. Yeah, let me but, ask you about that. All of these sequels, is the reason that the sequel is what it is because it is something that people are familiar with and that's easier to sell than a brand new concept? Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I think that people want to know if they're going to shell out that kind of money. And the theater tickets aren't cheap. They want to know what they're getting. And so I think that that's why the Marvel movies are so popular because you know the characters, you know it's going to be good, it's formulaic, you know you're going to have a good time, and there's familiarity. You don't want to take a chance on something that you walk out and say, oh, that was a horrible movie. Now, I did that all the time growing up. I would go to movies I never heard of, but the ticket prices were also a lot cheaper. But um, we'd have like a special movie price night, and I would go and be like, what's playing? Okay, I'll go see that and sit for two and a half hours and be like, eh. That wasn't that, yeah. But you know, I, I didn't. But it only like gambled a couple of bucks, right? It wasn't right. a fifty dollar night to, to take right. a date to the movies. Especially, and especially if you take your entire family. I mean, that's a major investment, sure. and so you you want to go see the Marvels and things like that on the big screen, and you know, and is there and, a point on those movies where, uh, you know, they they uh, jump the shark 
a, a little bit because they're into the minor characters and you know the some of them are, are certainly not as successful as others you know is is there a a point where we've reached too much where the, the glass is full on the marvel universe or on some of these other franchise films i think that decision one would be made not when the glass is full but when the the, the money jar is half full but because as long as they're making money work they're gonna they're gonna be putting them out now i know that they've kind of diversified the star wars franchise with all these um tv shows on you know and the the right spinoffs 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 and um i'm not hugely into that world but i have friends are and they're talking about the quality has kind of gone down as you know it just gets more saturated by things like that but these big blockbusters i mean they pay those stars are incredible sums of money to do that so they're they're banking that it's that's going to pay off and with the merchandising and the streaming and all things like that so those those are pretty much i guess guaranteed you know that people are gonna get too hot and want to go into the theater to cool off or the air conditioning and you know the 45 dollar popcorn and and watch something that they know will be entertaining to the whole family it's it's some of the smaller films that not that i'm worried about but there's a couple coming out that um there's one uh, coming up that i'm dying to see it's with uh, julia louise dreyfus and it's it's something like you've hurt my feelings or something like that and she plays like a a novelist who uh, finds like stumbles across her husband trashing her latest book and she gets very insecure and i've seen previews for it and it just sounds seems absolutely hysterical it's probably not going to be a huge hit but i'm going to probably go some afternoon at the cheap matinee and sit with my 45 dollar bottle uh bucket of popcorn and laugh my way through a julio lee's drivers rom-com you know but well you know uh, thank goodness in that case for the streaming services because i think those are are good for these smaller movies that that aren't filled with you know men running around in tights yeah true and then there's a few coming out like i'm gonna probably drop some money to go see you know the the uh new indiana jones i mean i just hey let me ask you about that i mean harrison ford at 80 in indiana jones and and so far the reviews have been a total mixed bag some have said it's awful and then some have said no it's actually pretty good what are you hearing I'm hearing good and nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. But, you know, honestly, I love Harrison Ford. You know, if he's 80, more power to him. I wish I looked that good. But I'm honestly going to see uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I'm a huge Fleabag fan. And wherever she kind of fits in there, I'm I'm really interested to see how she's going to bring her. She has such a unique style of comedy. I'm, I'm really going to kind of just see if it works in that in that setting. But I'm sure it will. It's like, you know, it's like the Tom Cruise thing. That was just, you know, it was 1986 all over again. And you're sitting there and, you know, the guitar strings to start. And you're just like, oh, man, this is yeah. here I am. Here I am again. You know, what but, about uh, franchise movies like the the new Barbie movie with Margot Robbie or the the live action Little Mermaid? What's your take on those? Well, I think both of them are going to be hugely successful because um, The Little Mermaid, I mean, that's just a known commodity, but, um, and that is getting tremendous reviews. I just read two, one from Variety, and I think the other one was a Hollywood Reporter saying, you know, totally worth it. And they really have a tradition of kind of uh, trashing the Disney live actions, but they're saying that um, the, uh, the uh, what's her name? Uh, yeah, uh, Haley Bailey. I always come on to call her Haley Berry. Haley Bailey, who plays the Little Mermaid, is phenomenal, and so is Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. And so, I mean, those are these are iconic roles. So, and every little girl is going to want to go see that. And I, I think that that's going to be very successful. That opens this weekend, and I'm 
I predict that it'll most likely win the weekend. And then um, the other one you mentioned, uh, Barbie. That that one's interesting because it's it's Greta Gerwig, who I love and you know, loved her Little Women take, and I've been a big Greta fan for a long time. And but she writes these kind of quirky, independent. So to see her like in this big studio, uh, green screen ish thing, I, I'm kind of just going to go see it because there's sort of a interesting what the heck's going on here thing. Because it's interesting. I've talked to several people about the trailers. Nothing is said in the trailers. It just is Barbie driving a car and waving, and you see Ryan Gosling, and you know it's pretty people, and you see Will Ferrell. Like, okay, it's going to be funny, but I'm like, what's it about? But maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe that doesn't matter, right? Maybe maybe a computer wrote it. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, but two no, more movies. There's a new Pixar movie out this summer called Elemental. Yeah, I, again, I think that that is a Pixar. <sighs> You know, I, I, I'm not really sure much about this or who's attached to it, but it's been hit or miss with the Pixars lately. And, you know, they they're not the sure to, thing that they once were. No, but, you know, the real short things, again, Burke, are the ones that, you know, the Toy Story 2 or this Cars 9 or whatever we're at now. The sequels. So, yeah, yeah the sequels where you can go and see Woody and Buzz and see where their journey continues. So, I mean, they keep throwing spaghetti at the wall, which is probably the name of their next Pixar film, Spaghetti <laughs> on the Wall. So copyright that real quick. Um, so yeah, they'll do fine. And, you know, it's, it's in that Pixar Disney universe where, you know, I think there's a golden parachute or something. They'll sell it on DVD or stream it on Disney plus and, you know, they'll, they'll make their money up on that. So at least it's an original thing though. It's not a sequel. Yeah. Right. And, and, and speaking of originals, the Oppenheimer movies coming out in July. Um, that is the one that I really have some eyes on because I, I know somebody in it. A good buddy of mine who's from Maryland, John Gowans, who's an actor, did um, several weeks on it, and he was sworn to secrecy. And so we had uh, we had uh, a breakfast uh, over Christmas, and he was like whispering, he's like, Oppenheimer's coming out in July," and like, you know, it was like, <laughs> like no, nobody in this Denny's John's is gonna gonna do it. But but you know, he kind of gave me some insight about that. But it's um, it's uh, Christopher Nolan's take on on Oppenheimer and the scandal of you know creating the nuclear bomb. But Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr. My goodness, it's just Gary Oldman. It's just so many so many stars in it, and there's a lot riding on that. And that's coming out uh, middle of July, so. Um, go see that. That's going to be like a, like one of those epic things and maybe get some Oscar buzz, hopefully. Oppenheimer, we'll write that one down. And then uh, one last movie to ask you about. We talked about the Marvel Universe. The DC Universe is always a mixed bag. And there's a, uh, a Flash movie coming out this summer. What, why, why is that? Why has Marvel gotten it together and DC not? What do you mean? You know, I, I wish I had that answer, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think about, you know, when they kind of took on some known commodities and I don't know if the DC fans are pickier, you know, and they have the, 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 the comic books to look up to or whatever, but I, I don't know. It's like hit or miss. Like um, I know that the flash TV show was a big hit and they had a huge following and things like that. But um, I don't know. I, you know, I wish them well. But, um, you know, it's it's that known commodity. I mean, people want to, even in theater, you know, those jukebox musicals really take off because you want to go there and sing the songs that you already know instead of saying, oh, I don't like that song. Oh, I don't remember that song. But if I could go there and sit with some song I know, some Billy Joel song or Dolly Parton song or whatever, you know, it's it's a good 
night of theater or a good night of, of, of movie going. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wish the flash well. What have you heard? I hear that nobody knows yet. <laughs> I hear <laughs> that it's up in the air and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I do want to ask you as a writer, um, what's good on streaming? You know, what, what do you see that's really well-written that you can recommend that maybe our listeners haven't watched yet? What's out there? Haven't watched yet. The thing is, is that I'm, I'm counting down the uh, successions and the um, uh, one more episode of my succession. I don't know if you watch that on HBO Max, which is uh, turning into Max next tomorrow, I think. Um, yep. That's a great show on, on there, um, on HBO. Um, very well written, very smart uh ted lasso if you, you need something to feel good it's ending again this this year i think um that's on apple tv i'd love the writing on that and i'm a i'm a stickler for the marvelous mrs Maisel. i don't know if you watch that great but that show. yeah great show beautifully stylized and again that's like a, a warm blanket you go in there and you see the characters her parents Susie, her mage, her manager, and you're just familiarity. You put it on and you know you're going to have a good time and you're going to laugh. And I think a, a lot of people want to do that. As for new, hmm, I don't know. Like we always joke because, you know, people are like, oh, are you watching this? Oh, you have to watch this tie as a writer. I get that a lot. And so <laughs> I, I always tell them, I said, my wife and I are probably would be willing to have another child and take on another show at this point because taking on another show is such a commitment my gosh especially if you watch as a couple or watch as a family nope. you, you got to work with schedules and things like that so yeah it's so uh, i think in just recent years she has her shows i have my shows and we'll come together for mesel and th some things like that is it hard also, for like, you as a writer to to not watch with a critical eye and not listen to the dialogue with a critical ear. Can you be taken away by the story since you've been doing this so long? I can. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I can also, um, you know, enjoy it, you know, because it is some things are, they're so well-written. There's a little show called Rami on Hulu, R-A-M-Y. It's a comedian. And it was about an Indian family and the struggles of that and the son and the daughter having Indian parents. And, um, I just love that show and it was so clever and so well-written and no one had ever really kind of ha had seen that, but, oh yeah, if, if something's great, it, it inspires me to be a better writer. I think a lot of times like watching something like that. Now, if something comes out and the dialogue's funky or word choice, I'll be like, ah, they should be written that or whatever. Like I, I can be picky, but no, like I love good writing and I love the, I love the whole, the, just everything about it. So no, it doesn't bother me. Ty Martino, award-winning playwright, screenwriter, producer, director, man about town. Thank you for spending time talking Hollywood with us. Hey, anytime, Burke. And, um, you know, I hope I shed some light on it. But And I hope this gets resolved because, you know, there's content. And, you know, I want to go to the movies. I want to sit in front of my TV and enjoy it. And I want to get back to work. <laughs> I'm right there with you. We want to see some some writers back in the writer's room soon. That's it for a Big Time Talker podcast. Thank you, Speaker Match, for sponsoring the show. Thank you for downloading new episodes and subscribing. New ones every Tuesday. For my guest, Ty DiMartino, I'm Burke Allen in our studios here in D.C. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.